Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we'll be talking about Trump's July 4th, politics of poverty in America, Kaepernick, Frederick Douglass, and Senator Cruz, and finally, what to do about Nike. And finally, of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Please stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And again, welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. And for today's First Five, I want to talk about the July 4th celebration in Washington that many of you may have watched on television. Maybe some of you went to Washington or lived there and went to the July 4th uh, celebration. As you likely know, there's a lot of controversy surrounding the uh, July 4th celebration in Washington this year because President Trump took a more active role in planning the July 4th celebration in the nation's capital than supposedly have past presidents. Whether past presidents did or did not get more involved in the July 4th planning, um, I don't know. But I do know that the critics were made to look foolish by the way this event unfolded. I'll start with two two uh, points of criticism. One, there was talk even the day before the July 4th fireworks celebration um, about the, uh, the the White House was struggling to get crowds there, struggling because maybe thinking they had to pay people to come. I want to ha- start by having Matt, the wonderful producer, uh, show you one of the pictures. We have two uh, pictures of the crowds. If you can even just put it full screen for just a moment. That was, and this is obviously the view toward, but uh, toward the Lincoln Memorial, but then there's a second one I think we have in there. The whole point of it was this. The <clears throat> crowds were massive, massive, and it was not a nice day. People stood in line for hours. It was rainy, and in fact, there were people urging President Trump to consider either delaying or canceling this July 4th celebration because after all, it was raining. He was not about to do that. He went ahead and did the July 4th celebration. So the first criticism was just kind of, oh, no one's going to want to go. This is so overdone. This is so, this is too much. The second one was far more, actually, I would call call it nefarious or some other really bad word. But there is a law professor at Harvard, a pretty famous, allegedly bright law professor, Lawrence Tribe. He is among the true Trump haters, true just everything President Trump does is wrong, bad, evil, et cetera. And Lawrence Tribe tweeted out about the plan President Trump had to bring to this July 4th memorial. Uh, Basically, he had tanks. He had symbols of our military strength. And so Tribe, law professor Tribe, tweeted out a picture um, of one of those uh, things in the uh, tanks arriving in Washington for Trump's, and Trump called it the salute to America. Lawrence Tribe said, the resemblance to days before Tiananmen Square is chilling. You have to understand, he's comparing America having a July 4th celebration, showing the world we're back. And there's a lot of significance what Trump was doing. We'll get to in a moment. He's comparing that to Tiananmen Square, where the Communist Party of China killed its own citizens because they dared to protest in demanding of free speech and more representational government. So, I mean, the 
absurdity of that comparison. I shouldn't even have to say anymore. So ridiculous. But the crowds did show up in Washington. And if any of you watched it, what you saw was President Trump basically celebrating our military, celebrating each branch of the military, having the music play for their particular uh, branch of the military, honoring them, giving a little tribute to their history and founding, what they do, what they stand for. It was the most patriotic and very supportive of America's military July 4th celebration I can even ever recall, especially in that kind of national level. Just truly a, a wonderful honoring of America's military, which after all is the, is the source of our ability to keep America free, to have a strong military, able to fend off the, bad, the wrongdoers in the world. So President Trump did a great job. There was no, all the fear that he was going to use this like another campaign rally and go on and on about all his accomplishments, and it didn't happen. It was just upbeat, positive, pro-America, pro-America being strong. And, um, and President Trump, apparently, in response to some of the requests of, why don't we just put this off? It's kind of ratty weather. Maybe people won't come. He said, no way. Um, so he showed up, and as did you know, thousands and thousands. I didn't know the crowd size, but I do know thousands and thousands were there. And all the people that were wringing their hands and fretting and moaning and worrying that somehow President Trump would be corrupting the July 4th, the meaning of July 4th, he was stellar. And he was basically celebrating the idea that America America has freedom and continues to have freedom because over the centuries, America's military has been willing to put in the fighting, the presence in for, at foreign countries, just the willingness of our military to stand up for America. In fact, one comment I guess President Trump made afterwards, maybe he, see, he said he thought maybe this really upbeat honoring of the military might actually cause more people, more young men, and I guess women, to consider joining the military. So very, very positive, very upbeat. Uh, critics looked, you know, just their typical silly, petty selves. Um, and I, I love, anyway, it's just a great day to celebrate America. And I wanted to close out our honoring of, and, of the um, July 4th by saying that I'm just really grateful we have a president who's actually proud of America, who actually speaks up for America, speaks happily and, and just gratefully for, um, about America. So. That was July 4th, and, um, and that, my friends, is today's first five. The next thing I want to talk about today, um, I call this segment kind of politics of poverty in America. And the reason I want to get on this topic today is this. If you watched the Democrat presidential debates um, or you listened to the speeches of any of the Democrat candidates for president, what you will see in one form or another is the endless presentation of America as being uh, just having too much income inequality, too much uh, wealth inequality, uh, too many people really rich, too many people really poor. In fact, one great example of it was during the uh, presidential debate last week that Senator Elizabeth Warren was uh, participated in. She was given a question. I think it was the first question she got was essentially, you know, America and the polling in America shows uh, that Americans overwhelmingly, Republicans and voters overall, and even it was a significant plurality of Democrats say that the economy is doing great. They're happy about the economy. It's doing so well. You know, so how, Senator Elizabeth Warren, do you justify the what you plan to do if you're elected, a you know, massive increase in taxes, getting rid of the Trump tax cuts? How do you justify that in, in interfering with this economy, given how well it's, you know, how it's rolling along? 
And she acted like she was answering another question from another planet. I mean, she basically said, well, this wealth, uh, this, this uh, economy isn't so great. You know, it's great for the rich people. It's great for the, um, you know, the, the wealthy. It's great for the corporations. It's great for all these uh, ruling elites. But the little guy, he's still suffering. People have to, you know, um, work two jobs to make ends meet. It was non-responsive to the question she was just asked, which was, hey, people in America are pretty happy about the economy, Senator Warren. Why would you want to mess with it? Well, I want to share a little bit, and I'm going to start with just one um, graphic that was from a um, my wonderful Matt, um, producer Matt has. It's, uh, it's uh, titled, the graphic is titled, A Rebirth of Self-Reliance. And it's basically, it's just a chart that shows what is happening in America under, under and it's not just President Trump, because President Trump did bring this economy about through his policies, but it's the policies that caused this rebirth of self-reliance, or put the other way, a reduction in the dependency on government. And I want to go through these numbers a little bit with you, because the point of putting this up is this. In America, we have more and more people working. We have fewer and fewer people relying on government. Fewer and fewer people rely on government programs and more and more people able to be self-reliant. Any psychologist, any student of, the, of any economy would say, this is great. You have people in this country happy to be working, people in this country able to get off of their reliance on government programs. We should be celebrating. But let's look at these numbers again. If we can put that chart back up, I'll just point out what this is saying. On the, the big red stripe on the far left, this is the number of people who have gotten off food stamps. So the point of this is, since Trump took office, enrollment in various government benefit programs has declined sharply. Food stamps down in enrollment, 6.7 million. 6.7 million fewer Americans are on food stamps since President Trump. Uh, and it isn't, again, it's not President Trump. It's free market economy. It's free market reality. It's the reality of relying on the system America is supposed to rely on, always said we believed in, which is freedom and free market. So you have 6.7 million fewer people on food stamps, 3.1 million fewer people on disability, and that we could spend a whole show on someday. I've done speeches on the disability program and how there's just so much fraud in it, so much ability of people to claim disability and get paid when they're not disabled. Uh, going on under Medicaid, 2.5 million Americans have dropped, uh, have dropped off the Medicaid rolls, 1.2 million off the Obamacare rolls. And the last one, it, it, I don't know what they mean by this, so I'll just say the number, but I, I don't know what they're measuring. Welfare overall, I guess, 0.8. The point is, this, this chart is showing you, it is proving in red and white, you know, black and white, but red and white, um, that the American people are becoming more self-reliant under President Trump slash free market economy. This is what is helping people in poverty, not creating more government programs that make them more reliant, that require the government to increase taxes to pay for those programs, but instead having more and more people able to find jobs in a successful free market economy an economy where the government is inspired, the policies the government puts in place are designed to create jobs, to let private sector businesses flourish so they have the means and the ability to employ more 
people. This is what free markets are all about. This is what the American economy is supposed to be about. I want to show you another chart um, that is that was uh, under the Obama era, and I did show you this chart a few weeks ago. Just this is just one example of the difference, though, in what happened uh, under President Obama and his policies. Now, remember, we had President Trump. Food stamp reliance down 6.7 million. That is the chart of food stamp increase reliance on, and that's actually, to be clear, a chart showing from 1960, the left-hand side, 1960, and the right-hand side ends at the end of President Obama's um, second term. But the point is that food stamp reliance skyrocketed under President Obama. And I want to get around to when I say, I call this segment the politics of poverty. The reason this matters so much in America is that when left-wingers like President Obama, like all of the candidates running for president on the Democrat side, when they set out to create economic policy, regardless of the words they say, their mission is to keep people dependent on government because people dependent on government will continue to vote for the party that creates policies that supply their whatever it is they're dependent on supply the programs they are dependent on so the left is not i mean the the, the uh, chart we had up a minute ago with all the numbers that have gone so well under president trump you would think everyone in this country would be celebrating. You'd think they'd all be saying, this is great, look what's happening. America, I mean, there, our job numbers are booming. We have the lowest unemployment numbers in decades, even in the categories of people who found it harder to find work. Uh, African Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, women, all groups are doing better under the Trump economy. And again, it's not Trump personally, under free market principles. This is what is driving the left nuts. They don't want to acknowledge that free markets work because when free markets work and people don't need the government, to, don't need to rely on the government, the left is really struggling and stumbling to come up with something they can give you, that they can, that they can provide for you. If people are doing well and, and thriving and succeeding, they don't need the government and and the left cannot stand not to be needed when they're in power. You know, and it's interesting, I, I wanted to bring this up, especially as we are rolling into the, um, into the 2020 election season, we have all these candidates. I mean, if you had to, if you listened to the Democrat Party debate last week, uh, there were two of them, you know, back-to-back uh, back -back evenings. If you had to summarize, actually ask yourself this, if you had to summarize, you know, two or three points, what did they all agree on? What did the Democrat Party agree on? These politicians agree on. Now they can, they can uh, nitpick at each other over minor things, but the two basic things they seem to be saying is open borders, no way they're funding the wall, border security. They want to make everyone who in any way makes their way into America's borders, they want to make them citizens, so no borders, no border security, that's one, and the other umbrella topic that every single one of them hits on is in some way or another free stuff. That's what the left is selling. No borders and free stuff. And free stuff ranging from the government will take over and pay for your college loan that you took out and you agreed to pay. Uh, they, many of them support universal basic income, the idea that the government's just going to you know, decide in some number and some category, maybe everybody just gets a payment once a month or whatever it's gonna be once a year from the government um, simply because you're here. 
you, so universal basic income, all in, uh, support costly government programs that have to be paid for by taxpayers, which are things like uh, requiring that businesses provide paid uh, family leave, paid you know paid leave when you have a baby, the father gets the, the paid leave too, and you know again going back to how government pays for anything, all this free stuff that the left is offering, the free stuff is ultimately paid for by you and me. The government has no money. Government never has any money. The only way government gets money is by taxing people or borrowing it. In both cases, eventually, the American people, the people who work and earn money, end up paying for that. That is where we are in this mindset that the left puts out there of telling people you're entitled to free things, you're entitled to free college, you're entitled to free health care, every bit of health care paid for by the government. They're promising the voters in this country other people's money. They're promising the voters in this country the money coming from working people. Even if people say, well, but the government will just borrow the money. Well, even borrowed money, it isn't doesn't you know fall from heaven it's not manna from heaven it's borrowed from somebody who eventually has to pay it will want to be paid back the debt america is is uh, incurring which is horrific the debt goes up and up eventually the american economy will have to pay for all the free stuff the left is offering but i want to hit one final point about um or i guess two final points about this poverty of uh, politics of poverty in america one is that I really urge you, if you hear friends or your colleagues or anyone say, well, you know, people should have free health care. It's too expensive. It's, you know, it's, it, most people can't afford it. They can't afford the kind of insurance they want. And the government should just pay for it. Even if they say, even if you say, well, yeah, but the, you know, the government, um, you know, uh, only is taking the money to give you free health care from taxpayers. And people might say, well, sure, that's fine. Okay, let them, let them, let the tax, that's like pooling your money. It's like a family, everybody throws money in the middle, into the pot, into the pool, and then we use the money as needed. That is the argument of the left. It's kind of a folksy thing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a folksy description of collectivism, a folksy description of Marxist collectivist mindset, but they make people think it's really more about, oh, we just toss all the money in the middle, and we, we pay for things. The question is, what do you do when the money runs out? What does America do if they really did this? Free health care for everyone, including all the illegal aliens, just everybody. What do you do when money runs out? What happens to the people who've never figured out they better be saving money for the health care they need? What happens? Now, I'll tell you, we had one answer this past week, and um, the Danish government, I don't know if you read this, but the Danish government collapsed. They collapsed. The government itself collapsed because the Danish president could not meet the financial obligation of the free healthcare system that they put in place in, in, in his country, in Denmark. So because he could not meet the requirements, that the cost of the free healthcare system, he'd gone to the government to say, I think we have to make some changes here. We're gonna to have to, and I don't know the specifics of the changes he was making, except he's basically saying, we can't give it all away for free. We somehow have to curtail the expenses, reduce the expenses of the healthcare system. And he could not get those changes done in their elected government, and wherever the equivalent of their Congress is. They couldn't get it done. The elected people did not wanna go back to their districts and say, yeah, I voted to cut back on healthcare. 
No elected politician wants to say that in their district. They don't want to go back and say, yeah, I voted with the president. We had to cut back health care. It is among the many problems with providing free health care is that there really is never going to be enough money. And so you're going to have people begin to argue about who's eligible, uh, who, you know, who may be only certain kinds of care are eligible. You're going to have rationing, which happens all the time in uh, health care in systems in this, in this world where you have health care provided by the government. Ultimately, there's never enough money to provide the kind of health care and every conceivable health care need or want of every citizen. But the left is perfectly willing to build that expectation into ignorant Americans' minds. Because what I'm telling you, they are not ignorant about it. The, the left in America. They do understand it's a financially preposterous proposition and that it won't work here. But they don't want, they aren't, their only way they have to get power, to seek power, to get people to vote for them is to argue, we can give you free stuff, including free health care. But as the Danish people just figured out, I mean, because they couldn't get it done and the, econ the economy couldn't go forward, the government collapsed. Now they're going to have to rework it. They're going to have to find some brave person to step forward and say, hey, people of my precious country, we can't afford this ridiculous health care system we've created. We have to introduce some free market principles. We, we can't just give everyone everything they need. But what happens in our country is you have the left convincing people that they are entitled to free health care. It's a right, which it's not. And then when politicians try to point out something factual, rational, realistic, reasonable, like saying, you know what, we, we're already, Medicare's already pretty much broke, and I don't know the current year uh, prognostication. At one point, people were saying Medicare will be broke by, you know, by 2045, and they were like, no, it's more like 2040, maybe it's 2028. Whatever the current prediction is, America's Medicare system is already broke, on track to be broke. To add more people into the free healthcare system here is not plausible, it's not reasonable, but when you build that expectation up in the minds of ignorant Americans, you're stirring up people to have a sense of aggravation, frustration, resentment toward other Americans, the characterization of conservatives or just plain old realists who say free healthcare doesn't work. You have the American people, and again, the ignorant among the American people, worked into a lather where they're assuming the only reason we can't get free health care done is because of mean, stingy, rich people. You build an expectation in the mindsets of Americans, which is completely unrealistic. And I think that most people on the left know this, but this is how they get votes, promising things that they know they really can't deliver promising things that are supposedly going to make somehow something that costs money to produce, healthcare, somehow make it free and still high quality and still meet the needs of the people. So I, we're gonna, I'm gonna try the next few weeks in the show to have uh, one particular congressman here from Texas. Chip Roy is a congressman from Texas and he has been, he's floated a new healthcare proposal. There are people on the conservative side trying to say, we've gotta do something with the healthcare system in America because frankly, Obamacare messed up the healthcare system so much. We've gotta try to get it back on track. He's got a, at least a plausible free market base proposal. I want to get him on if I can. If he's not available, I'm going to run through his proposal. But just, and this is the last point I want to make on this topic for today about the politics of poverty. The reality of politics is 
that of, of the America and the poverty in our country is that even the poorest among us, even the poorest among us in our precious country do better than most of the world, are better off than most of the world. Even when organizations, the OECD, which is a UN organization, tried to come down recently and criticize, well, America has a really high poverty rate, what they were saying, and if you read that, those stories, what they were saying was, given the relative wealth of other people in America who have more money, you know, the poor don't have, proportionally speaking, you know, as much as they should compared to the wealthy people. In America, the poverty rate is, is a set in law, set by regulation. But the truth is, even in, in America, even among the poorest among us, we have more um, we have more wealth, more human comfort, more, more than other people around the world. And I, the number was something like the bottom 10% of Americans, the lowest income of Americans, lives better than 73% of the rest of the world. American poverty, we always want people to improve, we always want the upward mobility, we gotta find ways to do that. But freedom and free markets have created the best economy for the poorest of all. Last point is, you will hear this over and over and over from the American left, their argument in this election season, capitalism is broken. This is a leftist argument. They'll take a, an individual person, well, look at this person, you know, he or she doesn't have what they need or they had some horrible thing occur and they can't afford to take care of it. And so they'll, they'll extrapolate from one person's story to capitalism is broken. Friends, we have to get this clear. Capitalism has provided America, is what has made America have the most abundant, prosperous economy, even for the poorest among us in this world. And I'll tell you one last thing on this topic of the uh, argument about politics and the politics of poverty. You always have to ask yourself when the American left is promising free things and more free things, and you know Elizabeth Warren's piling on, yeah, we're gonna have she, reparations for all sorts of people, reparations for women. This is, Elizabeth Warren proposed that, by the way. Reparations for women. Reparations, of course, uh, many, uh, some candidates on the left are arguing for reparations to African-Americans in, in our country uh, due to slavery. You always have to ask yourself, what is the principle not the dollar and cents, not the idea, not the argument. What is the principle on which we set that amount and how we can control it? Because if the less argument is, vote for us, we'll always give you more free things, where does it end? On what principled basis can it end? Free markets are a set of principles that are rooted in individual self, individual personal responsibility, the idea that you understand self-reliance is the basic thing in our country, that we expect people to find their way, make their way. We help those truly physically or mentally unable to take care of themselves. And everybody else, we have this economy based on self-reliance. And we have this economy, personal responsibility and personal freedom is the core idea of America. These are principles. These are principles that stand behind free markets. And there are all sorts of economic principles we're not going to go into today, but we have numerous times. We'll probably do it again. What is the principle the left is standing on when they basically are running on free stuff? Where could it ever end? 
And some of you know the answer. The N for the American left, ultimately, the radicals, is a collectivist, a Marxist collectivist economy where we have simply rooted out and destroyed all the free market ideas upon which America was founded and that made us prosperous and great. This is where the American left is headed. Getting that now and recognizing every time they say, well, you should have more free this and more free that, ask yourself, what is the principled basis on, on which you, you cut this off? I mean, where does it end? What is, the, what is the reason that every need or want you ever think of shouldn't be provided for free? If there's no principle behind it, all it is is the left competing with the, the who can think up the, the bigger, longer list of free stuff to promise Americans and have that be their campaign platform. These are really important ideas we're talking about today, and that's why I want to do it in a deep dive Monday. On my Monday show, I try to do deep dive serious topics because I think it's just vital to think about all the free stuff they're planning and proposing and running on. What is the realistic end game? What is the realistic principle that would define how we end this because there really isn't one folks there isn't one at all and and we're, these are very uh, consequential times in america because many people in the american left think that the mission of the government is to give everyone everything they need and therefore the left is just thinking up more things people need and more things the government should somehow give them for free and that's what i have to say today about the politics of poverty i want to turn uh turn at this uh, point in the show you probably followed, if, if you follow sports at all, if you follow politics at all, you probably followed the big kerfuffle last week related to Colin Kaepernick, the NFL player, former NFL player, Frederick Douglass, American hero, and Senator Ted Cruz. I want to start this segment by playing, this is a full one minute video that Colin Kaepernick put out as a tweet. He put out this video and it was his basic point colin kaepernick's point picked up on by many other americans on the on the radical left basically saying why should we celebrate independence day why should we celebrate july 4th not my independence day so let's go if we could matt the wonderful and play colin kaepernick's tweet what have i or those i represent to do with your national independence are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. There's not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. That was a tweet that was put out again by Colin Kaepernick in response to or his July 4th message. What he's referring to was, and it's really important to understand how contorted and deceptive his tweet was. Frederick Douglass is an American hero. He was a former slave. He was probably, of all the figures in American history, in terms of people who persuaded 
Americans that we must end slavery. He's at the top of anyone's list. Frederick Douglass was a, a brilliant orator. He was a great, you know, he was a great, he, he encouraged people, he inspired people. Uh, he was a, a great American hero. He was asked to give remarks at an Independence Day celebration prior to the Civil War. His remarks, July 5th, July 5th, 1852, so 1842. And so his remarks at that time, no, 1852, his remarks at that time uh, were about the idea, speaking in this group, here you ask me, a former slave and an advocate for abolition, an anti-slave you know, uh, activist, you asked me to speak on the occasion of the anniversary, the celebration of America's Declaration of Independence but this is Frederick Douglass speaking, but my people are not free. My people are still slaves. You know, this isn't, I don't have independence yet. My people don't have independence yet. You heard from just that brief, um, I don't know whose voice it was reading uh, the, the speech by uh, Frederick Douglass, but it was very, very moving and basically making the point in eloquent, eloquent terms that this is not, it was not right for, to ask him to really engage in or enjoy this uh, celebration of July 4th because his people weren't free. And he was right. In 1852, he was right. He was profoundly anti-slavery, and he was right. And he was among the, the strongest catalysts in American history to push America to get rid of slavery. So his remarks made prior to the Civil War were put out by Colin Kaepernick to urge today in America in 2019 that black Americans should not celebrate July 4th. That was his message because he's harking back to what Frederick Douglass captured and saying, you know, listen what he's saying. We aren't free. Why should we celebrate? And I have to tell you, folks, I have, I'm going to probably get a few of you upset with me but I do think that Colin Kaepernick, he's, he's out of line and he's wrong, but he's a bit more of a victim than he is as of, a, of an agitator. Colin Kaepernick is a victim of, I'm going to guess, very poor public school education where no one ever explained all that Frederick Douglass had to say. And Frederick Douglass, I'll get to him in a minute, but Colin Kaepernick was, is a victim of the just relentless Democrat media mob in this country perpetually arguing, perpetually setting forth that the American left is trying to encourage people that this is a racist country, it's a horrible country, we should never stand up for it, it's a bad place. Just this constant, ongoing, unrelenting, you know, America's a terrible, awful, evil place. And so Colin Kaepernick, you know, these are, this is his worldview. He really, I mean, he, he may actually believe this is the America he's living in today. It is uh, very offensive to many Americans, including many black Americans and white Americans and Americans of all backgrounds, to try to characterize what Frederick Douglass said about America in 1852 to where we are today in 2019. Frederick Douglass's speech was so profound, so eloquent. He loved America. He loved the Declaration of Independence. He wrote prolifically and spoke prolifically about the Declaration of Independence. He loved America. Frederick Douglass was saying back then, love America, love the Declaration of Independence, but 
What about the independence of my people? What about the independence of, of the slaves in this country? He was exactly right. Frederick Douglass was exactly right when he spoke. And by the way, if you're watching this on my Facebook page or if you'd like to go, I put a link on my Facebook page to the entire Frederick Douglass speech. You can read the whole thing. Uh, I tried to paste it into a comment and it was way too long, uh, but it's a very, very long speech, but really eloquent and really deep and profound. And what you hear when you can see, read his whole speech, he loved America. Colin Kaepernick is sending out, I hate America as his message. So. Uh, how this all, I'm sure you understood how this all came about, but um, Colin Kaepernick got, um, he tweeted out that thing about Frederick Douglass. He also is a spokesman for Nike, which I'll turn to in a minute, not ready for Nike yet, but he tried to, Colin Kaepernick, uh, in representing his views to Nike, so Nike has him as a spokesperson, you know, Nike had planned to issue a, um, a shoe, a kind of, I mentioned this last week on the show, a, a sneaker commemorating July 4th, and it had the Betsy Ross, the, the Betsy Ross flag, the original flag, it has 13 red stars, and Colin Kaepernick said that that flag would be offensive and hurtful to black Americans. And a lot of people didn't like that because frankly, Betsy Ross was a, uh, she, was a she was Quaker, she was anti-slavery, she didn't own slaves, she didn't condone slavery. She was a person who made a flag at the time our country was trying to get going with a national identity. Many people really got upset with Kaepernick for, and, and, and Nike saluted to Kaepernick and said, okay, fine, fine, fine. You know, we won't put that Betsy Ross shoe out uh, in salute in, in honoring what Colin Kaepernick uh, said to them. Nike said, okay, fine, we're not gonna make the shoe. But I wanna get back to the uh, this, this business, this uh, segment on this show about Senator Cruz and his role. So Senator Cruz spoke up and basically said that Colin Kaepernick wasn't paying attention to what Frederick Douglass really said. He urged Senator Cruz, urged everyone, read the speech that Frederick Douglass gave. Read the whole speech. Understand, Frederick Douglass loved America. He loved the Declaration of Independence. He spoke eloquently about it many times. He just did not, of course, like slavery. He wanted slavery to end, and he was right about that too. So Ted Cruz you know, puts out this correction, or essentially defending the honor of Frederick Douglass in response to Kaepernick's tweet, and so he puts this eloquent defense out, and some uh, journalist, alleged journalist, um, a New York Times journalist and editorial board member named Mara Gay actually tweeted out in response to Ted Cruz. Let me tell you first that Ted uh, put out. Ted Cruz put out, you quote a mighty and historic speech by the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass, but without context, many modern readers will misunderstand. Two critical points. And basically, Ted Cruz went on to say that, you know, the whole um, Frederick Douglass speech was before the Civil War, before slavery ended, and okay. So this New York journalist tweets out, Frederick Douglass is an American hero, and his name has no business in your mouth. This New York Times journalist thinks she gets to tell anyone, let alone Senator Ted Cruz, whether or not he's allowed to say the name of Frederick Douglass. And I raised this, I wanna go, I, I did this story to kind of get around to the point, it is the same problem with the American left that we were talking about a moment ago, about poverty, and the same thing with respect to race. What is the principle? What is the 
possible positive outcome if you take the tack that we have we watch Colin Kaepernick take what, what is the way forward I mean if Colin Kaepernick says don't honor July 4th and here we are in 2019 we've ended slavery we've ended segregation Democrat policies both Democrats put slavery in place Democrats put Jim Crow laws in place Democrats had segregation uh, as their law and their party's policy all Democrat policies and we've pushed through all of those in our country we bend over backwards we have affirmative action programs we work very hard to understand each other communicate with each other and the answer of the radical left which Kaepernick listens to is no we hate America we hate July 4th we hate the Declaration of Independence we hate America what is the way forward for America to ever unify to ever understand each other, to ever even speak to each other, when the tack of the American left is what Kaepernick did. Well, how do you, what, what, I mean, if he said, okay, you know, I, I love, I know the Declaration of Independence was a great thing, and we love, we, we love ending slavery, and we love freedom, but, you know, but America still has these things to work on. Kaepernick could say, you know, we want X, Y, Z, whatever we want. It is just a message of, I hate America, and you should too. That's Kaepernick's message. His message is, I will never, ever get over what happened over 200 years ago. I will never, ever get over what happened in this country. He wasn't a slave, as you well know, but he was, okay, 150 years ago, sorry. He wasn't a slave, he, but he's wanting America to drill down into remembering the, the evils of slavery and segregation, not look at the reality where we are in 2019, and not provide any path forward for any of us to ever get to a point of unity. This is, again, like in poverty, what is the end game? What are the principles he's standing for? What are the outcomes or solutions he would agree are fair? What are the principles behind what he's asking? He really, Kaepernick was really just sending out an I hate America tweet, and um, for sadly for some people it resonated. And finally today, I want to hit very quickly on the company Nike because all of what happened, we talked about a moment ago, all that happened with the um, Betsy Ross flag sneakers from Nike and then Nike pulling them back because uh, Kaepernick, who is their spokesman, said, no, these would be offensive, you can't have that. Um, there's two things I want to say about Nike. I really do think Kaepernick is in, I'll give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. He is just the product, the recipient, the victim of the perpetual outrage mode of the American left, of keeping people outraged, angry, never satisfied, never even willing to have a coherent conversation to move issues forward. The left is always and forever about keeping Americans divided angry, frustrated, upset with each other. This is just, this is how the left rolls. This is, this is how our country, it, where we are right now uh, in this country on this. And so I really want to, um, I, I, I'm probably going to bother some of my listeners, but I really do want to have this, um, this discussion about Kaepernick is a little bit more of a victim than a, um, a perpetrator. He's not, a, um, he's not the same kind of perpetrator um, as uh, some on the left. He, he's a recipient of the endless manipulation by the left, the kind of perpetual outrage mode. Now turning to Nike. While I can give um, Kaepernick a bit of a break, I cannot give it that same break to, um, uh, to Nike, the company itself. I'm going to tell you two things about Nike. Nike CEO is a guy named Mark Parker. When you stop and think about why would Nike 
pull back these shoes. Obviously, they'd be popular. Why would he pull back these shoes if just because Colin Kaepernick said so? And the answer is money. Nike and their CEO are okay with the idea that they are going to remain supportive of Kaepernick's anti-American message, hate America, you know, accuse America, hate America message. Kaepernick might be somewhat innocent in what he's saying. He doesn't, he just is not informed enough to recognize the modern context. But the CEO of Nike is. The CEO of Nike knows exactly what he's saying. And what he's saying essentially is, um, you know, we're going to have uh, what Nike, I'm sorry, Kaepernick's saying, you just can't have this. Nike's saying, we'd rather make money, we'd rather make money than, uh, than and, and so we'll honor Kaepernick. And so we're just going to let him send this message, this, this build this outrage in America, which it did. I mean, many Americans, you know, never buy Nike again, walk away from Nike. I'm not buying Nike anymore. I don't like the corporate America has a bigger responsibility than people than call like Colin Kaepernick have. Corporate America could respond better. They could respond and say, you know what, actually, um, we're not going to have uh, our company. Nike could say, we're not going to pull back these shoes just because Kaepernick said so. But they think they're making a gamble that supporting the anti-American message of Colin Kaepernick is worth it, and they'll make more money. They are fanning the culture war. Nike's fanning the culture war. They're encouraging division in America, humoring Colin Kaepernick, and going along with his anti-American mindset. And it seems to them, it seems like they're pretty darn okay with that. So um, on that note, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get my, okay. So on that note, I want to say with Nike, I am completely with the idea. They are, there is a corporate responsibility they have that they have utterly and completely dropped the ball on. And many Americans ought to let them know they don't want to buy Nike while Nike humors this very anti-American message. And now my friends, it is time for today's first five wrapping up our day so we had number one trump's july 4th celebration why and this is i always want to tell you the stories i talk about they matter to you the crowd was enormous they didn't have to pay people to come enthusiastic patriotic orderly trump's speech was a tribute to the country and the military branches that protected it was not about him as the left thought it would be and i really this is my last thing does love of country that was on huge display is it that that triggers the media and the left? And the answer is yes, it does. Tune out the incessant hate Trump, detach from reality narratives for the mainstream media that they are constantly spewing, solving poverty in America. America's economy is humming for everyone based on free markets at work. We should not make policy about forced wealth redistribution, which is what all the left-wing policies are. Free this, free that, free that is forced wealth redistribution. On snapshots of data, it takes time and persistence to lift people out of poverty, and freedom is already doing that. If wealth redistribution is the answer, who decides how much and for how long? What is the standpoint, the end point of a massive wealth redistribution effort? Where can it end? 
in terms of principle. America should focus on widening our avenues of upward mobility instead of the collectivist wealth redistribution the left is pushing. On Kaepernick, Frederick Douglass, and Senator Cruz, Kaepernick is the recipient, he's a victim, the outcome of left-wing education, media, and politics that revels in perpetual outrage and always focuses on the worst in our history instead of our tremendous sacrifice to make a more perfect union, end slavery, abolish segregation, and many more things. Frederick Douglass is an American hero. He was profoundly pro-America and profoundly anti-slavery. His sharp denunciation of slavery was one of the many sparks to the war that ended it. Join Senator Cruz in standing up for who Frederick Douglass was and what he said. Kaepernick's read on Douglass' speech was uninformed, to say the least. On Nike, Betsy Ross was an abolitionist. It's one thing for Nike to work collaboratively uh, with paid endorsers. It's another to endorse and uphold historical ignorance, anger, and hatred. Nike is choosing to capitalize on and make money off of ignorance and hatred of America. Buying their products feeds their mission. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please come back every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. Come to the Facebook page. I urge you to like the page, to share the page. I do this show out of just amazing, just I can't even think of an adequate adjective out of just enormous uh, love of, support for America, wanting to preserve this precious country, this experiment in human liberty. And that's why I do the show every day, because America matters. Can we talk truth about America? Can you-